to talk this morning about releasing your blessing. And uh, we're going to start with reading a very long verse. No, that wouldn't be a long verse. It'd be a long passage. So we're going to have it, thanks to Jeff, up on the, up on the uh, overhead. And you're all familiar with this passage. It's Luke. And I have a little bit of a throat thing going on, so... I'm going to try to say this. It's Luke chapter 15 about the prodigal son. And we'll pray in a moment after we read this. Then Jesus said, once there was a father with two sons. The younger son came to his father and said, Father, don't you think it's time to give me the share of your estate that belongs to me? By the way, this is the Passion Translation. Don't you think it's time for you to give the share of your estate that belongs to me? So the father went ahead and distributed among the two sons their inheritance. Shortly afterward, the younger son packed up all his belongings and traveled off to see the world. He journeyed to a far-off land where he soon wasted all he was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living. With everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry, for there was a severe famine in that land. So he begged a farmer in that country to hire him. The farmer hired him and sent him out to feed the pigs. The son was so famished, he was willing to even eat the slop given to the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. Humiliated, the son finally realized what he was doing. You know, the one, one version says he came to his senses. And he thought, there are many workers at my father's house who have all the food they want with plenty to spare. By the way, I thought it's interesting that even the servants in his father's house had all the food they wanted with plenty to spare, not just the sons. Anyway, they lack nothing. So why am I here dying of hunger, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? I want to go back home to my father's house and I'll say to him, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I'll never be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, just treat me like one of your employees. So the young son set off for home. From a long distance away, his father saw him coming, dressed as a beggar, and great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son who was returning home. So the father raced out to meet him. He swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly, and kissed him over and over with tender love. Then the son said, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. The father interrupted. One version says, the father said, shut up. It wasn't important that he came back and said those things. Son, you're home now. Turning to his servants, the father said, quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe, and I will place it on his shoulders. Bring the ring, the seal of sonship, and I will put it on his finger and bring out the best shoes you can find for my son. Let's prepare a great feast and celebrate. For this beloved son of mine was once dead, but now he's alive again. Once he was lost, but now he is found, and everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. Now the older son was out working in the field when his brother returned, and as he approached the house, he heard the music of celebration and dancing. So he called over one of the servants and said, what, you know, what's going on? And the servant replied, it's your younger brother. He's returned home, and your father's throwing a party to celebrate his homecoming. Well, we all know the older son became angry and refused to go in and celebrate. So his father came out and pleaded with him, come and enjoy a feast with us. The son said, father, listen, how many years have I been working like a slave for you, performing every duty you've asked as a faithful son? And I've never once disobeyed you. 
but you've never thrown a party for me because of my faithfulness. Never once have you even given me a goat that I could feast on and celebrate with my friends like he's doing now. But look at this son of yours. He comes back after wasting your wealth on prostitutes and reckless living, and here you are throwing a great feast to celebrate for him. The father said, my son, you're always with me by my side. Everything I have is yours to enjoy. It's only right to celebrate like this and be overjoyed because this brother of yours was once dead and gone, but now he's alive and back with us again. He was lost, but now he's found. Today we're going to talk about releasing your blessing, and there's three major points I, I'm going to make, and I'm going to kind of give you a heads up about what they are. We're going to start by talking about the difference between blessings under the Old Testament and blessings under the New Testament. Number two, we're going to talk about faith principles, which are kingdom principles. And number three, we're going to talk about what, the, what I believe is, if not the major kingdom principle, certainly a major kingdom principle that releases and affects all your blessings that God has for you how it releases it into your life. Okay, now let's pray. Thank you, Father. We thank you for being such a loving Father. We turn our attention to you. Father, I ask you to guide my words. I pray that my words would be your words and my thoughts would be your thoughts as we move forward here this morning. And I pray, Father, that not only I would hear you, but everybody here would hear you with clarity for just what they need to hear this morning. And I thank you, Father, for ministering to our hearts and bringing us revelation this morning in Jesus' name. Okay, so we're talking about releasing your blessings, and the place I want to start is what is the difference, a, a, some differences between Old Testament blessing versus New Testament blessing, because you know we, we are believers who live in the New Testament days, right? But unfortunately, we get confused sometimes and we act like we're Old Testament believers and that we're going to gain the blessings the way the Old Testament believers gained them. So as New Testament believers, we live by faith and not by works. In the Old Testament, the blessing was very much attached to living by the law. The Old Testament blessings were attached by offering sacrifices and atoning for sin. And the blessings were attached to those two things primarily. However, Jesus came and fulfilled the law, as we all know. We've been talking about this around here for the last at least couple of years in a very strong way. We're not Old Testament believers. Our blessings are not attached to obeying the law, and our blessings are not attached to doing some sort of sacrifice for sins in the New Testament. Jesus fulfilled the law, and the scriptures tell us that he took the curse of the law and became a curse for us. We're no longer under the curses of the law. I was thinking about this. If you read through Deuteronomy chapter 28, 
you'll find the blessings that came with obedience and you'll find the curses that came with disobedience. There's about 15 beautiful verses about how blessed you'll be in your finances and your belongings and your children will be blessed and your enemies will be scattered before you and you'll have everything you need, you'll be healthy and all of these wonderful things if you fully obey the commands of the Lord, Deuteronomy 28 says. And then it goes on for 50-something verses and describes all of this horrible curses if you don't obey. Sicknesses and diseases, loss and destruction and death, losing your children, enemies overtaking you and you becoming slaves to them if you disobey the command of the Lord. But then I got to thinking about how Galatians tells us that this law itself was a teacher to you and me to show us we could never, ever obey all the commands. So we were doomed to the curse of the law. Now you might have some degree of blessing, and there was certainly some degree of blessing in the Old Testament, but you couldn't live up to fully obeying the commands. So we were doomed to the curse of the law. The good news is, is that Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. We don't live there anymore. And he fulfilled the law. We don't have to fulfill the law. He fulfilled the law. And he exchanged his righteousness for our unrighteousness. We became righteous through the free gift of Jesus Christ and what he did for us. If you'll read through Galatians 3 and Romans 4, both those chapters do a great job of describing that the promise of God comes as a gift. You cannot earn it. There's not enough good works you can do to bring it on. And there's not enough bad works you don't do that allow the blessings to come. The blessings come as a free gift through Jesus Christ. They are not a reward for our obedience. Let me say that again. The blessings of God are not a reward for our obedience. <laughs> the pastor wants us to repeat it out loud. Everybody say, the blessings of God, blessings of God are, not are not a reward for my obedience. Wow. But I did all these things this past week. I'm sure the Lord won't bless this, that, or the other until I get it right. Wrong. Wrong. The blessings of God came as a gift. A gift is not earned. A gift is freely given by the giver of the gift. Sal how, did, how did you come to know Jesus? Right? Ephesians 2, 8. And I'm, do we have that? Yeah, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that's not from yourselves. It is the... It is the... That's right, not by works so that no one can boast. The way this works is, I'll just use, is this, let's say, that, that's my phone. Yeah. And put the code in so he can use it. That'll be a gift. Will you remember the, do you want me to get it out of here so that you can like not go back to it? And 
Hang on a second, everybody. This is going to take a minute. <laughs> here we go. I'm going to get rid of the auto lock here. All right. Let's say I wanted to give you this gift. Well, in this case, you spent the money because you're the one who earns the money. But if I had spent the money myself, okay, wait, we'll give it to Catherine. <laughs> Let's say I wanted to give you a gift, and this was the gift. And I'm going, Catherine, I love you, and I have this gift for you, and I really want you to have it. And she sits there shaking her head. And I go, Catherine, I have a gift for you. I really want you to have it. It's right here. It's at, you, you know, you, all you have to do, Catherine, this is for you because I love you. Oh, look what she had to do. She just had to receive the gift. That's it. She had to receive the gift. Now, I do you want it back? Sorry. <laughs> Now, God doesn't take stuff back. That was just an illustration. Okay, so it's by, by his grace and his love, he opened the windows of heaven. You know, we use this terminology today, the windows of heaven seemed closed. They are not. They are already opened through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and already it has been poured out Second Peter says, all things that we need for life and godliness has already been given to us. It all has. It's, the windows of heaven are wide open. It's all been poured out by his grace before you and I were even born, before you and I ever lifted a finger, before you and I ever did anything brilliant or nice or good or kind or loving. He poured out all, he poured out salvation and redemption and blessings. They, the blessings come, you understand. You know, the only reason why there's curses in the earth is sin. So if he redeemed us from sin, then all that's left are the blessings for us. So he's already poured out all these blessings. Works don't gain us favor with God. Works don't gain us salvation. Works don't gain us the promises of God. He gave us those simply out of his love and by his grace, and we have received it by faith. So he gave it by grace. It came this way out of heaven, if, if you will, by grace. Open your hands out like this. And you're receiving it simply by faith. You're just, like she took the gift I gave her, you're just taking his gifts by faith. Boy, that just doesn't, that doesn't fit the world system, but that's God's system. Thank God, amen, because we can't earn it. Well, how many works would you have to do to earn your blessings? <laughs> but, but see, we tend to think. We tend to think. Well, I mean, when have you been good enough? How will you know you've ever been? You won't. And it's because that's not the way to do it. And in the Old Testament, they would have had to base 630 laws, I believe it is, to get those blessings. Thank you, 13. I knew there was a three in there. Thank you. <clears throat> Let me show you something that's an analogy that I came up with. If you'd show that first slide of the bank. So <clears throat> when God's grace came, he poured out blessings like as if into a bank or our bank account. He gave us a whole bank. Each one of you have a whole bank full of blessings. He poured it into the blank. That's kind of the way it would be like. This is an analogy to help you understand how this works. Okay, second slide. And those blessings are safely stored up for you to access them. Next slide. 
And faith is what accesses that bank account. They're waiting for you, just like that phone was waiting for Catherine. They're waiting for you. He's already poured it out. God's grace is already stored up, just like salvation. It was already stored up for you. And by faith, that's how we, that's how we go up to the teller's window, take our withdrawal check and say, hey, I'd like. And she says, let me check your account. Oh, yeah, it's in there. Here you go. It's faith that accesses not only salvation, but all the blessings of God. You know, John 10, 10, Jesus came to give us life abundantly. So in the Old Testament, you had to earn forgiveness, you had to earn favor, you had to earn blessings, but not under the New Testament. New Testament believers simply have access through faith to all of God's blessings. So that's point number one. So if we need faith to receive, here's point number two, if we need faith to receive God's grace given blessings, what does this faith look like? Well, there's two major ways I want to sh tell you what faith might look like on how to go to the bank and act, write your withdrawal check and access what he has for you. Number one is this, it's your words. You'll remember Romans 10, 9, and 10. I'm sure pretty much everybody in here is familiar with this. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's with the heart that you believe and are justified and it's with the mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So faith, faith from the heart, professes from the mouth. Another verse says, we believed and therefore we spoke. It just is natural, actually. If you really believe something, you'll speak about it. And Mark 11, 22 and 23, we're probably familiar with this. Have faith in God, Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says, that's speaking, to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, in other words, they have belief, but believes that what they say with their mouth will happen, it'll be done for them. We release faith through believing agreement with God's word, through speaking out and believing agreement with God's word. Now, let me tell you something. We probably have many sermons on this topic in our archives. I'm quite sure there's hundreds of thousands of sermons on this topic. I mean, we've been hearing this topic for well over 30 years. And this is not where I want to major today, but I just want to state that one of the ways you release your faith, one of the ways you write your withdrawal check and is through what we say with our mouth that's in believing agreement with God's word. And there's a second thing that releases our faith. And it's an important way, and it unlocks those bank doors so that the blessings are given to us. And that's through our actions, not our works, but our actions. Faith is expressed through how we act. James says it this way, and when you've all heard it, you know, he says, he says that faith without corresponding actions are dead. So let me, let me tell you, let's think about this for a second. Whatever you really believe, you'll talk about. Whatever you really believe, you'll do. If you believe it's okay to come up to a stop sign and roll through it, you'll come up to a stop sign and roll through it. There's others of you in this room who goes, no way. I go to a stop sign and I stop. That's what I'm supposed to do. I believe I'm supposed to stop, so I stop. 
Some of you might have believed this morning it would taste really good to have scrambled eggs, so you had scrambled eggs. Others of you said, man, nothing tastes good for breakfast. That's what I believe. You might not have used those words, but in essence, that's what happened, so you didn't make anything for breakfast. Some of you, uh, did you, you know, Hamilton came through town. The Broadway, big Broadway play came to ta- through town recently. I heard on the last few days that tickets were like six and seven hundred dollars a ticket. So some of us might believe, hey, it is worth spending that kind of money to go see Hamilton or going to a concert or going to a movie or going to something like that. There, you might have some amount. I believe it's worth spending my thirty-five dollars to go to that whatever. And others of you might believe, I don't think it's worth spending that kind of money to go see that. So, but if you believe it's okay, you'll do it. If you don't believe it's okay, you won't do it. We act out of what we believe. So back to James, and he said, faith without corresponding actions are dead. He said, uh, in the Passion Translation, I love this, and it'll be up there. So then faith that doesn't involve action is phony. Now, here's the point. You can go around saying, I have faith, I have faith, I have faith. But if you don't act like you have faith, really, you're just talking. It's phony. That's what he's trying to say there. And then he also says, I'll show you faith by my works as a proof that I believe. In other words, your actions are evidence that you have faith. Does that make sense to you? Are you following me? Actions. So when you act in faith... When you act on faith principles, that's one of the ways we access the bank account that's waiting for us. Because faith is how we receive the grace of God. Following me? God's grace gives it, our faith receives it. One of the ways we know our faith, how do we know we have the faith to receive it? Because we act on what we really believe, on what we really have faith on. And again, let me be quick to remind you, this is not about works to please God. God's already pleased with you. This isn't about works to earn things from God. That's the other way around. That works comes first that way. I'm saying faith comes first and corresponding actions are an evidence of your faith. They are evidence. And as you act on your faith, it unlocks the door. So what are some of these actions of faith? that are evidence. I'm also gonna call them kingdom principles. These acts of faith are also kingdom principles. We would live the lifestyle of the kingdom when we have faith. Well, I'm gonna give you a few examples. There are more. Let's take servanthood. That's a kingdom principle. You know, in this world, remember when Jesus said after he was washing the feet, you know, and he said, well, the greatest of these is the servant of all. You know, in the world, they think the leader is the greatest. But I'm here to tell you, my kingdom principle, kingdom living is the greatest is the servant of all. Servanthood takes faith. You're walking in faith principles. You're walking in kingdom principles. You are recognizing Jesus is Lord when we're walking as servants. It's part of your faith that motivates you to walk as a servant. And being a servant is one of the things that would open up the doors of the bank for you. Humility goes right hand in hand with that. Submitting one to another. You know, 
God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they're not like a hierarchy. We've often thought of a God up here, God the Son. Maybe it's God, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's God, the Son, the Holy Spirit. But really, it's more like this. It's like a, it's like, it's like a circle. You know, it's, it's more like this. God, here, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're all on the same level, submitting one to another. Submission one to another is a kingdom principle. Lording it over is a worldly principle. Here's another one. This one should be easy. Love. God is love. It's a kingdom principle. Things like, you know, 1 Corinthians 13 describes what love is. One of the first ones is it's kind. So love and kindness. When we walk in love and kindness, we're demonstrating that I have faith in a God of love and kindness. Here's a really big one. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is a huge faith walk. It's a huge kingdom principle. You all know that uh, a sister church of ours up here in Thornton is where we actually started meeting. Genesis started meeting up in that building on 96th and Huron, now Destiny Outreach Center. You heard less than two weeks ago, three 15-year-olds in less than an hour went in and caused $80,000 worth of damage. This church is 60 years old. There's a huge investment. Can you imagine what that would be like? And the, and the, the pastors, the, uh, Walter and Renee, well, Renee is the great niece of the original pastor there, and then her father pastored there, and now she and her husband are pastoring there. And if you saw her on the news, one of the first words out of her mouth over this 80,000-plus damage was, we forgive them. Wow, does she have faith? I think so, I think so. I think that was a demonstration of the fact that her faith is in God and not in what happened. It takes, that is, that is, that is a kingdom principle. And by the way, we went to offer help by the time, when we were offering this and offering that, they already had, a, people were just flooding in to get the job done. Thank you, Jesus. So then there's another principle, and, it's a, and I believe it's a big one, and that is giving is a principle of the kingdom, and it's a principle of faith. Again, what does the world say? The world says hoard, and God says it is better to give than to receive. And I'm not saying that savings accounts and that sort of thing is wrong. I'm just simply saying there's an attitude of hoarding and holding back versus an attitude of giving and generosity. And giving and generosity well, that's what God did, right? He gave it to us even before we ever deserved it. It's a major faith principle and kingdom principle. When we live that way, we're accessing the doors of the bank. We're accessing that bank account. When you live out of kingdom principles, you're living a faith-filled life. I want to think a little bit more about this concept. In Old Testament days, we'd say, God commanded us to give. God commanded us to love. God commanded us to forgive. God commanded us to do this and that. And, then the, and we must obey. And then the blessings will follow. That's Old Testament. And there may be some, you know, there's some of us today, we use this term, I've got to obey God. I've got to obey God. Well, I just think that that's a lower truth. There's truth in it, but I think it's a lower truth. I think there's a higher truth for New Testament believers. I think, I think 
that God loves us so much, he tells us this stuff will work for you. If you love, it'll work, it'll work for you. If you give, it'll work for you. If you have humility and submission one to another, it'll work for you. And you go, wow, I believe it. I believe him. I want to do those things. I want to give. I want to love. I want to forgive. And then the blessings are unlocked. I think that's a higher truth than doing it out of obedience. I think there's another higher truth than that. I think for God is love. I think forgiveness, love, humility, servanthood, giving, these are the very nature of God. And guess what? You and I were made in his image. And now Jesus lives in us. It is our nature to love, to forgive, to be humble, to submit one another, to be a servant. That's our nature. That's the real us. I think that's a, the highest truth about all of this that there is. It's not out of obedience. It's out of, it's who we are. We are givers. We are lovers. We're in the image and likeness of God. Jesus, the laws, now that Jesus lives in our heart, the laws are now written in our hearts. It's a part of who we are. So I want to give. I want to love. I want to forgive. I want to be a servant. It's who I am. It's who you are. It's who Jesus is. And that's the highest truth of all. You know, these principles are exactly how we would have all lived if Adam and Eve had eaten of the tree of life instead of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, we all say, oh man, I wish I was back in the Garden of Eden. This is how you would have lived in the Garden of Eden. You would have loved. You would have been a servant. You would have been humble. You would have been a giver. You would have been forgiving. This is how we would have lived because this is God. This is the tree of life. Jesus is the tree of life. His nature is the tree of life. So if we want tree of life living, if we want Garden of Eden living, this is it. This is the highest form of living by faith. Which then, of course, proceeds into the many blessings. Love, joy, peace, whatever we need, abundant living comes from that. So let me review these first major points. And I believe we have those up there, Jeff. God, by his grace, has already given us all we need, as though it went into our bank account. Now we, number two, now we unlock that bank and access those blessings by our faith. Not by our works, but by our faith. Now, number three, as our faith is shown by a lifestyle of walking in kingdom principles, the contents of our bank account are released to us. So I want to take you to my last point for today. I believe there is one, there are, there are several. I, I mean, as I looked at even at the examples, and there were more examples I could have given of kingdom living principles and faith principles. But, and, but out of the ones even I gave you, I think there's several truly major principles there. But there's one major principle that I want to talk about that affects most every blessing in our lives. And it's how you handle your money. 
Let's think about it. Money affects just about everything in your life this side of heaven. Whether you have food on the table, whether you have shelter over your head, clothes on your back, transportation, the level of your health care, the level of your education. Whew. Money affects all of those plus much, much more. So how we handle our money is a huge piece of are we going to are we living in faith by kingdom principles or are we living according to the way the world does with it being so very very important in our lives see we want to as christians we want to go oh no money's money's not important yes it is money is important you know people are dying all over the world because they're in poverty millions i read 3.1 million children a year die from starvation in, in impoverished nations. 17 million children are severely affected by malnutrition. And that's just the children. So, you know, here we live in America and we think, well, you know, well, money. We're not there. But if you don't have money, you could be one of them. Money is important. So no wonder money is in strong competition to the Lordship in our lives with God. No wonder, because it's important. You gotta have money. This is our system of bartering. It's not livestock and cattle like Old Testament or grains. It's money and it's important this side of heaven. And it represents being able to live and breathe versus die. It's important. So how are we going to deal with this? Well, the scripture tells us we can't serve God and money. So what is the kingdom principle? What is the faith principle in relationship to money? Give and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So in other words, we show our faith in God by giving of our possessions and our first fruits. Hebrews tells us that Abraham recognized the greatness of Melchizedek, and this was long before the law, by the way, and honored the one greater than himself, and we all know that Melchizedek represents Christ. He honored the one greater than himself, just like Proverbs 3 told us, honor the Lord. <clears throat> Abraham honored the one greater than himself by giving 10% of his plunder to Melchizedek. That's a tithe, 10% is a tithe. He set a precedent that giving a 10% is how we, one of the ways we honor. When you give your money, you're saying this, this money, which is so highly important to live my life, which does almost everything for me, is not where I put my faith. I put my faith in God, my provider, who has provided all that I need. When you give your money, that's what you're saying. You're saying, I'm not putting my faith in this money. I'm putting my faith in God. 
You know, I know that first, I know that Galatians says, whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And the concept that is there is that if I sow an apple seed, I'll get an apple tree with apple fruit. And that's true. I'm not going to get an orange from an apple seed. If I plant a corn seed, I'm not going to get a bean. I'm going to get corn. So there's definitely truth that in whatever you sow, you'll reap. If you plant money, then you can expect to receive money and blessings. But I think there's a second truth here. Since money represents our very life, it represents the food on the table, it represents the clothes on our back, it represents the house we live in, it represents our education, our health care. I think when we give money, it affects the blessings throughout our entire lives. It affects everything. And you know what? You got to live by faith to give of your money. Because, man, the temptation to hold on to it. When you look at your bills, I mean, our, our insurance just went up, our house payment went up, and the, I mean, we had a lot of things go up in the last six, eight months. And I, I'm the one that pays the bills, and I'm looking at these bills. Well, wow, our, our salary didn't go up. Our salary's not about to go up any time that I'm aware of. Praise God. I, even yesterday, I, so I, work out, I work out when, I, the tithe is definitely coming out. I work out when, to, you know. And last night I was going, okay, should I, should I go ahead and pay it all today or pay part of it today and pay part of it next week? I said, you know what, what am I teaching on tomorrow? I'm paying the whole thing today. So, uh, you know, so, you know, the tithe is, is it, we've been tithing. I have story after story of God's provision. Been tithing since we were first. It's first. It's first, personally, we tithe off of the gross of our income. If you tithe off of the net, then the, what the suggestion would be, well, when you get money back at the end of, at, at IRS day, then you would tithe off that money that came back to you. That would be the thought. You make a choice. Personally, we think you can't outgive God. I'm kind of thinking, you know, I might ought to be given more than 10%. I'm, you know, might be needing to give 20%. I believe the nickels put aside money in bank accounts to give. And by the way, this isn't just giving your tithes and offerings into your church. Giving is a principle. Generosity is a principle. You might be giving all giving alms, which is considered money to those in need. That's part of this giving. You might be giving to somebody who's not in need just to bless them. Giving is a principle. It's a lifestyle. This whole thing that I'm talking about is a lifestyle. And as we live in financial generosity, and we allow that to flow through us, a mighty, this is a mighty, all-encompassing kingdom principle. Do we have that, Jeff? Do I have that statement, allowing financial generosity? Allowing financial generosity to flow through us is a mighty, all-encompassing kingdom principle or faith, act of faith. It's an act of faith. Let's go to the major points again. Let's review our major points. I've now made four God, by his grace, has already given us all we need, as though it went into our bank account. Now we unlock that bank and access those blessings by our faith. He gives by grace, we receive by faith. We don't earn it. We don't earn it. 
He's not waiting on us to earn it. That's not the situation. It's already there. It's already given. He already loves us. We don't earn his love. We don't earn his favor. We don't earn his blessings. It's all poured out into that bank account already. But we can access that bank account by our faith. As our faith is shown by a lifestyle of walking in kingdom principles, the contents of our bank account are released to us. And number four, the kingdom principle that is one of the most important affecting most areas of our life is the principle of honoring God with our finances and financial generosity. So there's one more thing I want to say. As I was preparing this, it kind of hit me at this point that this sounds like a system. If I just work the system, then it'll work for me. I got a formula, A plus B equals C. I'll do it this way. But I'm not talking about a system. I'm talking about living a life so full of faith in God that as Hebrews says, we believe in him. We believe he is. And he's a rewarder of those who seek him. We believe that and therefore we act. It's a way of living, not a formula. Hey, I got an extra bill this month. I'm going to work the formula. No. We're going to live a lifestyle out of our faith in who God is to us. And and, and he is all that we need. I'm going to live that lifestyle which keeps those blessings flowing. I also want to say, it's not like you're waiting for God to give you your allowance, which brings us back. Did you think I forgot about the prodigal son? That brings us back to the story of the prodigal son. So whatever it is you need, it's not like, well, I did my work this week, Dad. Time for my allowance. It's not like that. He had it already. So You know what, for both, both sons, the son who mightily messed up, he didn't just mightily mess up, he totally entered a lifestyle of sin for whatever period of time. He did not deserve one, he had already spent his inheritance. He didn't deserve to be given anything else at all. Is that you? Well, guess what? You're... I want to say you're in luck, but really what you are is in the loving hands of a loving God. <laughs> you don't need, you know, he, he wouldn't, the father wouldn't even let him talk. The father wouldn't even let him say, man, I screwed up. He, Hush. I love you. I love you. And it's intimated clearly. Now that he gets given the ring of sonship, his father's very, it's intimated that everything his brother, who was faithful all this time, was going to get, he would still get, in spite of the fact he already, I mean, clearly the father must have kept something to live on when he split up their inheritance, right? But so he was going to get everything the, the faithful son got. It's intimated in that with the great rejoicing and all that he poured out on him before he could say a word hardly. And then what about the faithful son? Well, I have done everything I'm supposed to do. I've obeyed God. I've obeyed the Father. Is that you? That's not why you get it. 
the faithful son didn't get it either. He didn't get it by earning it. He went to the father, he said, look, dad, look, dad I, I've been faithful. I've done everything you've told me to do. I've been totally obedient and I don't have all this. And the father's going, what? What do you mean? All that I have is yours, plus your inheritance. The only reason the faithful son didn't get it is because he didn't access it. It's not about works or a lack of works. It's not your allowance. God's already got it all stored up for you. We simply need to access it through faith. Amen. Yeah, let's pray. 